And that's that's the difficult thing about it. And that's the thing that's causing us to, you know, make fun of the speech patterns and the gump and the this and the that. Because it just, we just all just want to watch football and enjoy our team. And go to the stadium and cheer and get together and have watch parties and look forward to the games and God forbid and those sorts of things. And let me bring my guest of the hour in here because we have the Garza Law fifth quarter fan reaction because my man Marcos Garza steps up and lets us do that. Marcos, if it's not for you, that that shows on pay review for the masses. So thank you for sponsoring Garza Law fifth quarter fan reaction all these years. Though sometimes that show can get a little out of control, Marcos. Yeah, in a good way, though, right? Uh, <laughs> I think people need that. Is it, uh, a good, is it in a good way? Yeah, I just met with a guy the other day uh, whose name will go unmentioned, but he goes, I don't know how I would have gotten through. Oh, man, I'm going to make your head bigger than it is, Tony. He goes, I don't know if I, how I would have gotten through all this if it wasn't for Tony. I mean... Uh, listening to you during COVID, I think, uh, puts a lot of people, uh, gives a lot of people opportunities to vent their frustration. So, Marcus, I want uh, to bring you, yeah, I, I want to, I want to, well, thank you. I want to bring you in here to talk about this Kevon Bennett thing because it's interesting. Can I, yeah, you don't, you don't take compliments well. You no, know, you know that. Do you? Yeah. Do you, yeah. Marcos, <laughs> when I try to compliment you when we're talking, do you? No, but okay. that's, that's all right. I, I'm, I'm, I, I like throwing stones. Sort of a guy thing, isn't it? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think that's a guy thing because we're just not used to uh, we're, we're not used to hearing the good stuff, especially the the married guys amongst. Um. So, although my you know my wife's pretty good, but she's no. She says stuff like "Don't talk to me like I'm a talk show caller." Um. You're not on the air anymore. I get that one a lot, Marcos. Uh, yeah. Anyway, the great Marcos Garza joining us. And we're going to break down what happened with Kevon Bennett yesterday. Now, here's the, the, the police report yesterday. He was speeding, which is what led them to stop him. It was a campus cop. When you get arrested by a campus cop and get thrown off a team, if, and I'm not knocking those guys, but... You know, it's a bad day for this dude. This dude had a bad day, as the old song goes. According to the arrest report, officers found 44.9 grams of marijuana, black digital scale, 58 plastic baggies, a Glock 17 9mm handgun that was loaded. Marcos, in the state of Tennessee and in Knox County, he's being charged with possession of a firearm with intent to go armed, dangerous felony, possession of a Schedule Six drug with intent, unlawful possession of drug paraphernalia, and he's prohibited from possessing a firearm under state and federal law. How much trouble is this guy in, Marcos? Yeah, she's really uh, done it upright, to say the least. Um so, you know, the first thing is usually a speeding stop. You know, if you're an attorney trying to represent a guy like that, you want to look at the stop. Well, if the stop wasn't justified for some reason, you know, the rest of the case kind of goes away. It's called fruits of a poisonous tree. But usually speeding is a legitimate legal reason for a stop. And because you can either radar a guy, uh, which often happens, 
um, or um, you can also just estimate speed. It's, of course, usually hold that it's within your purview to estimate speed. So the stop's probably bad. And then the the big thing, the possession of the loaded gun, and, and by the way, you can possess a loaded gun in your vehicle even without a handgun carry permit in the state of Tennessee. So that's really not an issue in and of itself, it's just from optics. That's interesting. Now, that's interesting. So so that doesn't augment the trouble here, because we would think the loaded gun is, is, the, is the smoking gun here. Well, it does augment the trouble because he's got drugs with him. Um, so they've charged him under, I believe it's 39, 17, 13, 24. Uh, I hate, that sounds like a lawyer, doesn't it? Anyway, I don't mean to hate sounding like a lawyer, but that is a kind of a stack on top of other charges. So whenever it looks like you're enterprising, you know, like you're selling, selling drugs, um, yep. which, you know, you got a scale and you've got a felony amount of uh, anything over 14 grams is going to be a felony. So it looks like he's selling, uh, at least based on the fact pattern and the amount. So then they tack on it with this uh, armed dangerous felonies uh, statute that I just referenced. And that can be a three-year, actually three to five-year stack on top of whatever you're dealing with. Um, so, yeah, he's really, and that's usually a mandatory service rate. So he's probably looking at three years, if he were convicted of all this, he's looking at three years on top of the felony he's dealing with, which would be one to two years. The possession of the paraphernalia is just a misdemeanor, uh, punishable by up to 11 months, 29 days in jail. So, right. Let's back up here. So let's say I'm Tony Basilio's driving that car, okay? And I know I've got some dope in it, and I know I've got a gun. When the when when I'm stopped by that arresting or the officer, do I have to consent and let him search my car at that point? No, you don't. Wow! So he could have said to him, "What? Tell me." Uh, no, thank you. Not without a lawyer present. And they probably would have searched it anyway, uh, and they would argue that they had probable cause to search it because they smelled marijuana or something like that, which I think actually they do say that in the warrant. They do. Um, but at least you would have a legal argument about, well, was was it smell? Did they smell marijuana? Did they not? Is it possible they smelled it the way the marijuana was bagged? Is that a, a reasonable um, thing that occurred? At least you might have an argument. But once you consent to anything, then you kind of, most of the time, almost all the time, you remove any legal defense from whether was the search legal or yeah. not legal. You know, it's no longer open for debate for the most part. And so, um, yeah, it's a really bad fact pattern. And then the usual areas that you would try to defend a case, you know, was the stop bad? Well, it's speeding, so that's... Again, not unassailable, but it's a tough thing to defend right. based upon. And then the other is, well, was the search proper? Did the, the officer have a reasonable and articulable suspicion or actually probable cause in this case to go further? But you all but remove that argument for the most part whenever you consent to the search. So, uh, yeah, it's really uh, what a, what a bad mistake for a young man to make. And then he made it even worse in that he really kind of removed most of the common legal reasons to, to to at least 
combat a charge like this or set of charges like this. So essentially, it's kind of like you've told us in the past, you got to be really careful when you're engaging because you can't give up your rights. You know? But who knows that? Who, who knows when they're going to be put in that spot? Because now you're saying that those charges are going to stack one on top of the other on top of the other. He's in a world of hurt, basically, is where, where he is now. Sure. So the speeding, the possession paraphernalia, the possession of, I believe they've charged one felony possession, correct? Yes, they did. With intent to, those, with intent to distribute, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so those can go... Those can go concurrent, meaning they can be they can be stacked, but typically they aren't. They would run all at the same time. So really the effective sentence on that is probably one to two years. The real problem or the real mallet they're going to hang over his head um, in negotiating or working this out is that that three years is a stack on top. Uh, I believe that's, that's by law it's a mandatory stack. So Wow. So the gun so the gun just so I'm hearing you properly. If I got stopped with a gun, I got it in a gun show. Uh, that proves that checks out. It's got a serial number on it. Tony bought that at a gun show. Whether I have a permit for it or not, am I how how much in trouble am I? Uh, if you just have a loaded gun in your weapon and you're pulled over for speeding, for yes. example, yes, you're not in trouble. Uh, you know, in Tennessee, we consider. This was passed, I want to say, about four years ago. Maybe it's been a little longer than that. The legislature passed the statute that says, well, a vehicle is kind of like your castle. We've all heard about castle doctrine. How yep. uh, Castle doctrine is it is you are presumed to be in fear of serious bodily injury or death or imminent serious bodily injury whenever you're in a home and someone comes there illegally. Uh, you know, it's not a guest or an invitee or your mother-in-law or someone like that. Um you're presumed to be at reasonable fear of serious bodily injury or imminent serious bodily injury, which means you kind of get this head start in the law or this presumption that it is okay to use deadly force. Um, and so what they've said is, well, we're going to apply castle doctrine to vehicle because I guess in America we're all very tied to our vehicles. It's almost as and some people do live in their vehicles or yep. depending on the type of vehicle. And so we're, we say, you know what, you don't need a special handgun carry permit to have a weapon in your castle, and we're going to say your vehicle is also your castle. So you actually don't even have to have a handgun carry permit to have a loaded weapon in your castle, or in this case, your vehicle. Um, now, if you are going to carry a weapon or a loaded weapon or any kind of weapon in your car, you probably ought to go ahead and get a handgun carry permit because... If you use it, you're in your trouble, vehicle. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you use it, you're there's a good chance you're going to end up outside your vehicle. How far outside, who knows, is, you know, if you're standing right outside your door, yeah. is that in the cur- cartilage well, well, of the vehicle? Anyway, let might me, as well have well, Let me ask you this, okay? So this is it, because it's the holiday season, right? And, and this is, do we, have a, do we have a thing now where people love to, especially women, people love to run up on women when they're at, um, you know, the mall parking lot or a strip mall parking lot and they know they've got bags and packages and credit card and probably cash on them and that whole thing. And so let's say I'm a woman and I keep a gun under my thing just for that reason. And somebody runs up on me and I point that gun at them and I don't have a, I don't have a carry permit. I don't have the, you know, I don't have that. But I'm in my castle. 
and it goes boom, and I shoot somebody, or I use the weapon, or I fl- or I swing the weapon around, whatever the case is. How much trouble am I in at that point? A lot, you know. The, the and I don't know that it's a problem, but the risk of having a weapon. Tell me if this answers your question. Tell yeah, go ahead. If the the chances of having the problem with a weapon in the state of Tennessee, if you view it as a problem, is that whenever you display or brandish a weapon, we don't really use the term brandish in Tennessee law, but everyone kind of understands what you mean by that to some degree. Whenever you show a weapon, if somebody is reasonably in fear of serious bodily injury based upon you brandishing or showing or displaying that weapon, then you've committed what's called a Class C aggravated assault, Class C felony, which is punishable by up to three to six years in prison. Uh, you can get probation on it, but it, the sentence on it is three to six years. And so what you'll see happen a lot um, over the years is people, particularly in these roads, and I'm moving the ball a little bit on you, people in these road rage situations, they'll have a weapon in their vehicle. Right. And they get in some sort of uh, road rage situation. And I've been trying to find the way to more professionally say pissing contest. But I, is there anything that better captures that concept? No, it's the truth, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you get in one of these contests. Right. And someone will display their weapon. Right, they might even not even point it at the other person. They just kind of display hold it. Up. I got a gun. Don't don't come yeah. near my car. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they feel kind of justified because the other person's acting like a real jerk in their right. vehicle. Just so you know, I got a gun. You want to keep doing this? I got a gun on me. Go ahead. Yeah. And so now you've committed a class C felony, felony punishable by three to six years. What? Yes. And so. Okay. You no, never. Okay. So go, go back. Go back to the original. So I'm in the mall. I got that gun in my car to be safe. Somebody has, oh my God, they've, they're really good. This guy's really trying to get in my car here. Sir, I wouldn't do that. I got the crimson tracer on you here. I'm going to turn the light on. And if you don't get out of my face, this thing's going to go boom on you. Um, I can't be in trouble for that though, right? I'm defending myself. So, you can be in trouble for anything. Uh, it's an easy answer, right? You can easily get charged. Now, do you have a defendable case if you do get charged? The answer is probably so, right? Particularly if you're in an occupied vehicle, we can kind of fall back on that castle doctrine that we're talking about. Okay. And so if someone's trying to break into your car while you're in it, right. you're in your castle. And so you're presumed to be at, you know, fear of serious bodily injury. And so you, you could use deadly force in that case. Now, it's a rebuttable presumption. Yes. Uh, because, you know, if the person trying to get in your car is a little old man or a little old woman who mistakenly or someone who mistakenly, you know, mistook that car because it's a gray car like theirs or looks kind of similar. Yes. And it's obviously a little old man, little old lady, or someone who could never hurt a fly who's trying to get into the wrong car. Yes. And you shoot them and you say, hey, I rely on castle doctrine. Yeah, the jury's probably going to hear castle doctrine. The person is presumed to be reasonable fear of serious bodily injury or death. The problem with those presumptions is they're, they're what's called rebuttable presumptions. Meaning, if the state of Tennessee came in and said, "Yeah, except this was a little, little old person with a walker who mistakenly was getting in the wrong car in broad daylight," you're going to lose that presumption pretty quickly in front of a jury of twelve people. I would imagine for waving a gun around. So you got sense. so when you pull a gun out. <laughs> I've often heard, "Hang right there, Marcos." 
WJBE 1040 AM 99.7 FM Translator W259AB Powell, Knoxville We're talking to the great Marcos Garza who's now entered extra time, overtime, your time, my time, it's extra time Marcos Garza, GarzaLaw.com who is really interesting. We're talking about the Kevon Bennett thing and, the, and, and one of the things Marcos said is that Bennett ordinarily having a gun is not a big deal. Having a load of guns not a big deal in your car, which is news to me. Whether you have a permit for it or not, um, he said not. I'm not putting words in your mouth. That's what you said. But I, I ask you the question of because I often wonder about you know the, when you say the castling deal, and it, that's an interesting conversation because people keep that weapon in their cars. Just in case somebody rolls up on him. I've often heard Marcos, don't pull a gun out unless you're ready to use it. And I know you're a lawyer. You're not going to speak to that. But I've had law enforcement people say to me, look, if you're going to be one of these people that carries a gun around and you wave a gun at a bad guy, you better be willing to pull that trigger. So you're not going to speak to that. But that's just that's just one of those. I don't know whether that's a, a Chinese proverb or what that is. Why, why, would, uh, why would you think I shouldn't speak to that, Tony? I don't know. I don't want to get you in trouble. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's the right analysis. I think we probably should speak to that. I think that's true. If you're going to wave a gun out just to pull a gun out just to scare someone, you're probably pulling it out for the wrong reason. Because really, if you're not pulling it out in a place where you're at serious risk or at imminent risk of serious bodily injury and by risk it's got to be reasonable and so reasonable is kind of a two-factor analysis one you're going to have to earnestly believe you're at risk of imminent serious bodily injury or death and two a jury of 12 people or the objective person on the street is going to have to say yeah that's reasonable under those circumstances to think you are at risk of death or serious imminent bodily injury and then your deadly force becomes justified but if you're pulling out a weapon just to scare someone um, and it's not justified, then you're committing a Class C felony aggravated assault many times. And so, uh, you know, guns should never be used as a scare tactic. Now, I'm not saying it can't work or can't be effective in that use. Sometimes, you, um, sometimes that might be effective, but you're really putting yourself at legal risk. And the reason... Uh, Kevon Bennett's situation got so bad so quickly that possession of marijuana with intent to resale, which whenever you got a scale and in the amount that he had, is considered a dangerous felony under the armed dangerous felony statute. And so uh, the problem is it's okay to have a loaded weapon, but when you're in the commission of a dangerous felony, then you're not. You know, if he had had just a oh, she's half an ounce or less of marijuana or something like that, he could at least argue, well, no, I wasn't in the commission of a dangerous felony. I just had a little bit of weed for personal use. But since he has so much and a scale to go with it, that's kind of a hard aspect of it to defend, too. So at the end of the day, let's go back to Kevon Bennett. And I, I thank you for your time, Marcus. Let's put a bow on this. You're representing him. What do you do? guy like that walks in. He's made a mess. What's what's the first thing we do with him that you would do if you're representing him? Uh, well, God, don't talk to anybody about it. Don't make any statements to anybody in the press or otherwise or even any friend or family. 
And the second is, um, gosh, he, in his case, you kind of have to demonstrate, in my mind, just from a practical standpoint, and this doesn't sound very lawyerly, but that the kid's worth saving. I mean, immediately, mm. Bond Bennett needs to get himself clean. Mm. Uh, he needs to distance himself from whoever it was he was hanging out with that was helping him participate or engage in this type of conduct. You hope that Kavan has never been in trouble before. You know, the thing is, he's, it appears based on the fact pattern that a lot of people conclude he's out selling. You know, yeah. gosh, I, I don't, I don't know. Does he, you know, the, I wonder what the reasoning for that is. Right? I don't know. You and I met his father. You were there that night, Cornelius. That's Cornelius' son that night with Tony Robinson on the set of the TV show, and it just breaks my heart because he comes from means. His dad's going to be sitting there going, what are you doing? He doesn't, he what, doesn't even need to, right? Yeah, what are you doing? Like, and, and by the way, I'm nominated for the Hall of Fame this year. Like, what? I can go sign my name at a card show and make us $50,000. What are you doing? Like, what are you doing? I don't know. It's just very you know, strange. Yeah, and you, you, I've represented people. You know, they're they're business people. They're just in the wrong business, right? They're in a legal business, like selling marijuana or something like that. But you sort of understand, right, in, in a way. And, and again, not that it's legally proper and not that I'm, you know, I'm not here to be the morality police, but you sort of think, well, that's kind of what they know. You know, maybe I can direct them to a different path, particularly since they got in trouble. And you kind of, but you kind of try to understand, right? Or meet a person where they are and you're like, yeah, I guess this is the only business this person knows. We just need to get them out of this business and maybe we can get them out of this situation unscathed. The sad thing about this situation is it doesn't sound like he needs to be in this business, right? He comes from means. He's got a, a dad that certainly, I would imagine, can help provide for him. I'm sure he's at least okay taken care of uh, there at Tennessee, uh, despite, uh, you know, was it Aaron Foster's comments about the state of affairs. It's just sad, right, to see a guy who's, not that anybody should be out dealing, but a guy who seems like doesn't need to out ruining his life in this way. And that's what you do. You, you go to that, you go to whomever, and you just, you just, you plead for mercy. The best case scenario for him is going to be what? After all this stacked on one on top of the other, he's not going to walk away. He's going to serve some time, right? Yeah, and I mean, and again, Tony, there still may be a legal defense in there somewhere. He can wiggle away. It was a bad stop. Whatever it was, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, he's held at gunpoint too early. Whatever, right? Yeah, something. But, um, yeah, you know, if if there isn't a legal defense, which he's closed out a lot of them in his own right, is you know, hey, get this guy clean. What can he? What can he do to better himself? Is he diversion eligible? You know, is it possible that this is the first time he's ever got himself into trouble? And therefore, you know, maybe he can enter into some kind of diversion where he agrees to maybe plead to a misdemeanor or or maybe even a felony, but they hold it out for a period of a year or two in hopes that, you know, as long as he does a good job for the next year, that they'll dismiss it at the end of it. But again, those things aren't automatic. They aren't necessarily, um, you, you, you got to negotiate for them. So I, I find um, you fascinating. It's really interesting. You taught me a lot today, man. It's, uh, and I know our radio listeners as well. I mean, we've got 
125 people watching us on Periscope right now, and the numbers went up while you were on, and we got three lines full, and uh, thanks, Marcos. I mean, really, that's uh, it's terrible for that young man, terrible for his son. Anybody has children knows that's just a terrible nightmare. And one thing I know about you is you approach people from that standpoint. Like, these are people, you know? And people make mistakes. They're going to do stupid things. We all are, especially young kids. My thought for a kid like him is because he comes from the privilege and the money, is he trying to act out? Is he trying to act in front of his team? I think there's a psychological component to that. And I guess you, in front of a judge or whomever, you could probably even make that case. Hey, this kid's trying to be somebody he's not. Yeah, like he's a like he's a real tough guy, right? Yeah, you know he comes from a. I imagine, and, and again, not to make excuses for right. him, or we don't want any of our kids to do this, but you know he's trying to act like a tough guy. He probably gets a hard time because yes. he comes from a pr- position of privilege, and this is what you're saying, right? He, right. And so he's gonna act like a, a real tough guy, and is you know it's just misguided, right? His his mm. ambitions are obviously misplaced. Um. You know, this is an opportunity to get the guy's attention, not an opportunity to ruin him for the rest of his, his life. So, Marcos, thanks, man. I, I greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate you stopping by. Marcos Garza, your Garza Law Firm, if you need his services, online at GarzaLaw.com. And uh, they do it all for you, whether it's uh, DUI defense, criminal defense, situations like this, personal injury. Um, which is a situation we had with an insurance company that didn't want to pay us after something happened. Also, Social Security, disability, uh, et al. Hey, thanks for your time. Anything else you want to add on this matter? And if I don't talk to you in the next couple of weeks, I hope you have a great Christmas with your family. Uh, you too. And I, I just, uh, I just hope for his family. I, I, I man, I, uh, I don't know how you feel, but I really liked, uh, Kevon's dad. Oh, my and God. Just, he's a great guy. Yeah, Cornelius is just, incredible. I just really hope that, and you know what, the DA's office here in town is a pretty, for the most part, a fair, not that I always agree with them, but they're a pretty reasonable group of folks. And if this is his first round, I'd have to think that, you know, he might he might get a second chance at life. I think I'm hopeful that there's someone there in the DA's office, and there usually is, that, that might cut him a little bit of slack or a little bit of rope, uh, you know, if this is his first round. So uh, I just pray that's the case. Thank you, Marcos. Thank you, Tony. God bless you, man. Um, that was really great stuff. Sean and Brian, I want to bring your attention to something. Because you guys were on here two weeks ago and we read this. And I was just reminded of this by the great Tom Marine who sent me a text. He said, do you remember a few weeks back when there was a kid, a walk-on kid that left Tennessee's program. And he gave an exit interview to David Ubbin at The Athletic. And he said that there were some guys in the program that were really good players on the field, team leaders, who were well-liked but didn't necessarily do the right things off the field. And he said it was tough for those guys to be leaders because they really weren't respected. I think we have an understanding of what that kid was talking about now, Sean. I think we have a much clearer understanding. At the time, it really didn't make much sense. It was like, well, because the kid said, hey, I love my time at Tennessee. But if you're ever going to get the program back, you got to have guys that lead 
And the guys that are selected leaders have to be leaders off the field as well. And I just think that's a really, that's really interesting, Sean, in, in light of what's going on here. Well, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to misinterpret, uh, Kevon Bennett's actions and circumstances. Uh, that does not mean that he was in line to become a, a mass killer or the next, uh, cartel boss. Uh, but certainly some bad decisions were made. Um, and I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope some, some wise decisions can be made going forward. I am, I also am a private citizen here. And so the DA is protecting me and my kids. So, um, hopefully this can be resolved in a, in a fair way, one way or the other. Uh, but, you know, when you have what you were describing and Tom was describing, that tells me that you don't have, I mean, everyone talks about leadership within the team and that's good. I mean, having an Al Wilson, fine. Having Harry Galbraith, that's great. Some of that, make no mistake. Everyone looks up to the head coach and my Butch Jones was kept saying, well, we don't have great leadership on this then you go freaking sub, uh, supplant that, and and you provide them. You think Nick Saban gives a flip who's leading on his team? That's coming from that's coming down from high, and you either get in line or you get out. So, um, when you have eighty five kids on scholarship, you're going to have some guys that color outside the lines. Um, I, I I I can't be convinced that Kevon Bennett's, you know, uh. uh you know, a career criminal um, in the world of academia. I think we, I think it's been some of those what's right or wrong things get blurred over there a little yep. bit. Yeah, and uh, and a lot of bit. And I think uh, I think I think kids and and teachers, etc., around the, those uh, around those institutions. I, I think they enable each other uh, a little bit. Um, uh, but look. When a kid's not playing football, their their mind goes or sports, their mind goes elsewhere. When the kids are losing and they're not playing, their minds go elsewhere. That that's anybody, and so that's just another sign um, that the programs kind of coming apart. No question. No, it's not because yeah, yeah. it's not become it's not because of young Mister Bennett. It's and him getting caught. It's. Leadership guys yep. that aren't really leaders. That's right. And that's what he was thought to be. A leadership guy. It, it, that And that's tough. Because here's the weird thing about him. Is that people... I talked to a couple people last night that were like... They were shocked. Like a couple support personnel people said he's one of the nicest, most polite most respectful most respecting of being at Tennessee and having an opportunity to play and not a kid that's um, my dad's Cornelius Bennett kiss my ass that's not him I have more money than you kiss my no no that's not him they said he's they said it was just shocking it was and you know he was picked up right near the complex 
and that's and I found out about it like middle of the day. I was doing something, and I got a call. You're not going to believe this, and I said, "Well, you know, I don't believe that." And then it, and then that, and then I think it was Channel Six that got the police report. They must have gotten tipped too because people saw this. It was very public. Very public. But it was just shocking that it was that kid of all people. Just shocking, and that's sad. That's sad. But in in light of that kid's comments, and in light of the way they play, it makes sense. Because that that kid said, David Aubin asked that young man, I forget his name, and I, I apologize for that. He's a walk on player, and he's going to go. And good luck to him. He's going to get under Jackson State with um, with Deion Sanders and do his thing. That young man said. The guys that are team leaders should be guys that the players decide are team leaders, not the coaches. And what we have here is we have the coaches. We have our our, our coaches try to decide who the team leaders are, and that's just not how it works. And maybe he's right. Maybe he's right. I don't know. Let's go to the phones. But it is interesting that this kind of stuff happens, and this kind of stuff, and I've not said today, this is an indictment on Jeremy. This stuff goes on everywhere. It's just it's just whether or not, you know, at a place like Alabama, and I'm not saying this is what they do, but at a place like Alabama, probably what they would have done yesterday is taken that kid's gun, taken him and Nick Saban, and let Nick Saban deal with it. I would say that's probably a decent read on how a campus police officer there would have pursued. Now, I don't, I don't know that to be the case. But that would be my sense. Well, that's that's how it that's how it is for a Louisiana police officer. We've already seen that. That's right. That kid. That's the same exact circumstances. That kid would got same caught. Exact same circumstances. There were two players. One was caught in Louis, the state of Louisiana, yes. and one in Alabama. Yes. Cam Robinson. Cam, Cam Robinson. Robinson. Thank you, Brian. And neither one of them missed a dessert, as far as I know. Because we all know that dealt with internally means, hey, quit being an idiot. You're making me look bad. Stay out of the paper. That's what it means. 